this bar is beautiful, right? The bar top, the marble. And, you know, when we designed this bar, we had those little brass lights. People sit here and they, you know, when you talk about mixologists, I mean, it's like watching people cook in the exhibition kitchen, find dining restaurants, you a chef table. So when they're sitting there and they're watching them make the drinks, and I don't like, I mean, I know batching is very popular and there are very fine bars around the world that just do batching, all drinks pre-batched. I tell them, look, I still want ingredients to go into my glass. So they will batch some things, but they a lot of the drinks are assembled, like he says, from tinctures or shrubs and, and bitters that we make in house. And then it's all boom right there in front. And the technique of making that drink under those little lights make it worthwhile. From Studio Pod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story, why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season will center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking. Canned cocktails, not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, goldenrulespirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on IG. Check them out. There are many things that stand out about Cold Drinks Bar that are quite different from your standard neighborhood cocktail place. First and most obvious is that it's not a standalone bar. Cold Drinks is just one establishment within the massive China Live complex. China Live, founded in early 2017, has become quite the San Francisco staple in just a few years. Located at 644 Broadway Street, China Live adds to the rich history of Chinese cuisine and culture in SF's Chinatown neighborhood, but does so in a sleek, modern, and well, big way. At 30,000 square feet, you couldn't miss it if you tried. And so Cold Drinks adds to the experience of the complex, along with its upscale fine dining eight tables restaurant and its flagship restaurant on the main floor. Second, Cold Drinks specializes in a couple of spirits in particular, scotch and whiskey. Trust us when we say to go with what they're good at. Third, the price point. Serving up drinks that range in price from $16 to $22 a pop, Cold Drinks offers no surprises about what kind of place it is. It's a destination bar, somewhere you may go for an anniversary or to commemorate a special occasion. It's not somewhere you're going for a quick well drink before dinner. And finally, and most impressively, the vibe. From the bats that line the stairs on your way up to the bar's second floor entrance, to the rich stonework gracing the bar's walls, from the gold piano-style ceiling to the cozy lounge furniture around the perimeter, everything about cold drinks oozes comfort and class. A comfortable, rich experience has been carefully crafted to a tee. 
A well-dressed server will take your order and deliver you drinks as you nibble on China Live's delicious duck fat popcorn and enjoy the relaxing music throughout the bar. This is the type of place you want to sit down and stay for a while. If you think that the inspiration for the physical space might come from historical references or maybe a favorite movie or famous fictional protagonist, you'd be right. The image here has been carefully crafted and done in the most tasteful manner. Over a couple delicious chef's ginger ale, or in other words, a scotch and ginger ale, we sat down with the bar's lead mixologist, Yang Zhu, and China Live's founder, CEO, and executive chef, George Chen. So China Live is a complex, right? We have actually four floors, way too many, but I always wanted to have a segregated bar. That's kind of like a, I don't want to call it speakeasy, but, you know, bar that doesn't really have any advertising. And it's, you know, sort of in the know kind of bar. Cold drinks was an idea I had from way back when. I always wanted to open a cool bar based on a story that I read about Shanghai in the 20s. There was a place just known as a cold drinks bar, you know, a former French concession. So, you know, it was described as a place where they brought in, they called it just cold drinks because they had to bring in ice from the ice house, you know, big blocks. And then the ice machines kicked in, obviously. But that image was a place where, you know, writers and famous writers and authors, gangsters, movie stars, all kinds of celebrity types would hang out. And Shanghai in the 20s was like Paris in the 30s, right? It was a pretty crazy time. Well, the other way around, Paris in the 20s, Shanghai in the 30s before the war. But that romantic idea kind of stuck in my head. So when I wanted to build this place, I wanted to kind of like a little bit of that feel. So that idea, plus the fact that one of my favorite movies is Blade Runner. And I had told the architect, designer, that, hey, you know, I want to be have that kind of vibe, but some, some of that mystery, that feel in that movie. So these Usonian tiles you see on the wall, people are like, wow, I've never seen that. Everything here is custom. Even the furniture was made in uh, custom made in Vietnam, and I had to go to the factories. This bar is not that big, and it's really a cool bar. I mean, it's just the vibe and the feel. It's overlooks Broadway and Chinatown nighttime, you know, with the piano ceiling and the drop ceiling, which is actually sort of bronze colored. And it's actually made of electrical conduits that say sky in Chinese. And so I've been around the world checking out bars and judging bars, and it's still my favorite bar. You almost get like a almost like a Bond villain type of vibe when you walk in here. Like there's someone in that specific, like, you know, they're going to be in the corner. They have their own section of the bar that they own <laughs> or like they're overlooking. Is that what you hope for? Yeah. This is not a three, four deep meat market type bar. This is a bar where, you know, the drinks are great, but it's ex- a bit expensive on the expensive side. And you're here to really feel like, you know, I, I want to have a nice sports coat on. James Bond might be sitting in the corner having a martini, you know, shaken, not stirred or whatever. You know, went out of vodka bar. And so the other aspect of what this bar was is uh, when Doug McDonald, my uh, first beverage director, and Yon Zhu, my lead mixologist, came to me and said, hey, you know, boss, what do you like to drink? I said, well, I'm actually kind of a scotch man. And he goes, okay, well, let's do a whiskey. I said, oh, there's too many whiskey bars already, man. That's kind of boring. Because no, 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 we're thinking about doing like whiskey cocktails, like scotch cocktails. I mean, bourbon, of course, gin, vodka, of course, and everybody's doing everything else. But scotch, I'm like, I'm a kind of old-fashioned guy. I don't want somebody messing with my scotch. And they said, no, no, just give us a shot. And so they came up with these crazy concoctions. And I realized scotch is actually very complex and more so than a lot of the other spirits. 
And uh, Chinese, you know, drink a lot of tea, so there's a lot of those tannins and those kind of characteristics. And I didn't realize there were so many new Scotch brands, new whiskey brands. We have over 300 Scotch whiskeys here. And so they made me a few cocktails, and I was blown away. So ever since then, we've become sort of like this Scotch whiskey bar. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I'm going to bring you in here for a second, Young. So what was your initial thoughts when you were like, okay, this is going to become a Scotch bar per se, and like you're going to be able to like mix drinks or make cocktails with that being the main spirit? Because as George said, it can be, it has to be done right. If you get it wrong, <laughs> you know when it's wrong. Yeah, it would be a joke if we didn't wrong. <laughs> yeah. I always like Scotch whiskey too. I own a bar back home in Shanghai. I love Scotch. I love Belgian beers. When Duggan said to me the idea, I was like, yeah, because uh, Scotch is actually a old school and very free spirits. It has so many room to play with different kind of style drinks spirit forward or highball you guys are having even citrus driven drinks because they use different barrel different aging system i love american whiskey too but in most american whiskey we have they all use brand new charred american oak you know what's gonna happen before you make that drink but scotch like oh crazy i i'm gonna use a glenfiddich 14 years to make a whiskey and people's gonna love it that turns out pretty good yeah I like that idea a lot. I like to do some new things. At this point of the conversation, George switched gears to transition into talking about their most popular in-house cocktail. But right around the time he changed topics, we were joined by an unexpected guest. One of the first drinks we uh, came up with was, you know, we, we realized we sold a lot of Peking ducks in the house. We sold 100 ducks a day and, you know, we have a lot of duck fat. And so they said, hey, we're going to like wash a Scotch cocktail with Peking duck fat. I'm like... Okay, that sounds pretty crazy. And Young could give you the recipe and how we make it. But that drink has become infamous for this place. You know what I mean? It's become an iconic thing. By the way, my wife, Cindy, the co-founder, just walked in the room and said, hi, Cindy. Hello, everyone. That's the voice of Cindy Wong Chen, George's wife and also the co-founder of the China Live Complex. She's the boss. And she loves cocktails and always has uh, Young making her some omakase drink to test things out. I definitely want to talk about the duck fat wash old-fashioned because that is obviously the first thing you see on the menu, not only because of the price point, but also when you do get it, it is, you remember it for sure. And I remember the first time I had it here and every time I've come back, it's always something you, you have to get because it is, in my opinion, so unique. And very well copied down by a lot yeah, of people. Oh, sure, <laughs> of course. Yeah. There is a lot of like, yeah, of different like fat washed or, you know, animal fat washed cocktails out there now. There's even a duck fat wash cocktail down the street now in yeah. a new place. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's it? What did it say? Copying is the ultimate yeah, sign of flattery, what, right? Yeah, Picasso said that. Yeah. We're not Picasso, but, you know. Oh, don't sell yourself short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the cold drinks came from, was that the name of the bar in, in Shanghai? It was called cold drinks that you wanted it? Yeah, it was just known as, there was no sign. It was just known as the cold drinks bar. And to Shanghai, they have it's all word of mouth. You know, back then it was all like secret places and yeah. so forth. So, just this that romance started that idea, and this place is kind of like the, you know, it's not a replication of another bar from a, another place. It's purely original. And when was the initial idea? Were you mulling on this for years and years, or was it just like I have, I want to put a bar above China Live, and I want to, I want it to be a speakeasy, and I know what I want to base it off of? There was a famous 
Roskelter in New York that David Brinkley, the newsman, used to go to. And it was a Chinese bar in Chinatown, but a Roskelter on the second floor. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> inscrutable Chinese, and uh, you had to knock on the door and all that. So, you know, we're here in Chinatown, one of the second floors, so it's not a speakeasy, like in the basement or something, but it's a kind of a hidden bar. And the idea for this bar been with me for years, at least 10 years. We researched to try and find more information about the cold drinks origins George alluded to in Shanghai. While there's not a ton about the bar itself on the web, looking up the French concession neighborhood adds a lot to the overall picture. The French concession is still around today, but about 100 years ago, it was a European-heavy district in old Shanghai. Look up the European-esque streets of the neighborhood, and you can definitely imagine a classy bar like Cold Drinks where established artists, writers, and European thinkers hung out. Also, the original inspiration for Cold Drinks reportedly had access to ice, which was rare at the time and crucial for a bar in Shanghai's hot summers. You can see how this alone would have attracted many expat visitors. Now let's talk about the pandemic response with George and Yang. Obviously, everybody had that oh shit moment when it happened in March, February of March 2020. March 16th, 2020. Right before St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. What was your initial reaction when it all happened? Like, when were you like, oh, this is going to be something pretty serious? Immediately. Eater called me actually that afternoon because I got got a big mouth in the one, my opinion. And I said, it's like Armageddon and a bomb went off and nobody's really felt the effects yet. Now, people thought I was exaggerating, maybe, but I thought we'd be back by summer. So, obviously, we never had a complete shutdown. Like, I had to tell, yeah, I'm sorry, man, no job. As a restaurant this size, with overturned employees, we can't pay or make a payroll for the next two weeks without revenues. I mean, you know, we're not hand them out, but we're pretty, you know, as operations go, I mean, we're the highest grossing restaurant complex in the Bay Area. And this bar rocks it. Too. You know, it gets busy. And Young will tell you some nights where he's making a drink every three minutes. <laughs> but we couldn't do that. So I knew it was going to be tough. So laying off to our employees was really, really tough. And nobody knew what was going to happen tomorrow. And then the thing just kept on going. That was the hard part, man. It was like, all right, I kept. And then I said, okay, I got to bring my core group of guys back. Young being one of them. Because he was my, uh, you know, he's a talent. He's a lead mixologist. And uh, so I kept. Those guys on the payroll, after I kind of figured out what I needed to survive. And we literally had only brought back 15 people in the first month or so because we didn't have the revenue to support it. And then we were able to, you know, obviously to go, then the outdoor dining and then the cocktails to go certainly helped. And then the parklets and then partial door opening. And then December came and they shut everything down again on the second wave. That really hurt everybody. I think the reason why we're short of staff, especially in this industry, is we lost a lot of people when they thought they were coming back for Christmas and had a job in November, December, and then they didn't even let outdoor dining happen, right? And we just built a park lit. So all of a sudden, we're back to to go for like two, three months. And at that point, it's like, okay, lay everybody off again. I mean, you can't jerk people around like that but we had a pandemic. I get the safety thing, okay. But I think we lost a lot of people in the industry from that experience. And again, went back to the core people, young and my chefs, tried to hang in there. By then, we had some government support with the PPP. But in a year, we had kind of run out of that first PPP money. So the second PPP wasn't there yet. And like, okay, 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 how long is this 
going to last because if it don't come and we don't open, nobody knows, right? And we got other issues like paying rent and stuff like that. So it was really, really rough. And now, hopefully, you know, with this variant, whatever, Delta, is not going to affect us much. Hopefully, we're on top of it now. But this industry has already been hard-headed enough. To have another shutdown would just probably wipe most of us out. Mm -hmm. China Live and Cold Drinks as an extension of the complex had a much different response to the pandemic than other bars we've chatted with. With multiple restaurants and retail space, they had to pivot for the whole marketplace as opposed to just one bar. So while they did experiment with to-go cocktails and bar-specific options during the pandemic, they had to try a lot of other options as well. We pretty much did everything that was allowed whenever possible outdoor. Uh, we did ghost kitchens during that period, developed that. Cindy and I tested the food during COVID, the test kitchen for three, four months before we launched that. Now we have about 10 locations in the Bay Area. We did packaged goods and uh, we built a commissary to build our sauces, our in-house pantry products and snacks. And Cindy and I started going around the city seeing people were like doing drinks, you know, batch drinks to go. So we wanted to check out quite a few of them and test them out, see what the price points were, how receptive people were to them. And there was an audience for it. So I said, yo, we got to do this. You know, like, uh, bro, I love you, but we got to make some revenues here. So he came up with some really good cocktails and they sold pretty well. So Young could tell you more about that. When I start to develop the menu, once I know is so many ingredients, which are pretty common, what I use behind the bar, I can't. Because... The drink will look nasty if I use a lot of fresh juice, all that stuff. So the whole like to-go thing make me so resourceful <laughs> and the whole year. So we I start to test out different uh, clarify citrus acid, citrus oil to make the drink can last longer. And it turns out good because we more focus on if I want to bring more acid, more sour stuff, we use a different flavor shrub instead of fresh juice. So it will make the drink look almost the same for like one or two weeks when you put it in the fridge. We do lots of cool style spirit forward drinks. We bring our sometimes old fashioned onto the menu. That was like, oh, I never saw I can have that in my, in my home. That was really crazy. Yeah. So it is hard, like you said, but we tried. Actually, it turns out pretty good. People really keep their mind open. Also, a lot of folks live near North Beach, Chinatown. They are our regulars. They also really, they love to support us. We do an Instagram, we do an email, all that stuff. Then as soon as they saw it, like, oh, I'm going to order some drinks. That's really cool. Like, hope you guys can make it. And they like introduced their friend to order our drinks and stuff. Yeah, it turns out really good. Better than I thought, actually. The one thing you mentioned that I didn't think of, and obviously being a consumer myself of to-go drinks, is the look of it, right? Like, you want to have something, you said you don't want it to look nasty, and it's like, oh, you're right. You don't want to have something that's like kind of like a weird brownish color that you're like, this doesn't look appetizing, and that's something you have to think about, especially if you're going to be carrying a to-go, a clear to-go container with you down the street that says China Live or cold drinks on it. Yeah, I, I want to make sure they look good, they last longer in folks' uh, refrigerator, because basically they're paying, I want to go drinks, I would say it's not cheap, but I want to make sure it worth the price. Yeah, I think most of our customers, I mean, we're a big place, right? So we're not really a, a neighborhood restaurant. We did some uh, big data stuff and, you know, 85% of our business comes outside 9.7 miles. 
and you know, cold drinks is a subset of that. So people come to San Francisco to have a drink at cold drinks specifically, not like, oh, let's just get a pint of beer around the corner or some pub. So this was a place where people look forward to coming. So during COVID, you know, you only had a delivery diameter of about five miles with all the apps and so forth, and the neighborhood is only so big. And yet we were doing 10 grand a day in to-go business, including cocktails. And that was all supported that from within 9.7 miles. I mean, really within the delivery diameter. So, you know, a lot of people really supported us during the, the downturn. And uh, without them, we would have our time. Before switching to talking more in depth about the cocktails and the drinks in the menu, George imparted us with a few more details about China Live's reopening and their mindset along with it. Things are kicking back into gear, and I've been able to visit the marketplace recently on a weeknight, and the place was rocking. It sounds like their numbers are starting to reflect that, too. We get requests a lot by uh, people because we're you know fairly well-known. we really a good cocktail bar. So we had all those opportunities, and we just, if there's something to do, let's try and do it. You can't just sit on your hands and hope everything will be fine because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So we just did everything we tried to do everything. And we're now back open. We're not doing cocktails to go right now because we're shorthanded. This bar is starting to rock. I mean, I think, how many people do you think we had on Saturday night? Like Last Saturday, we said 130, 132. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 130 customers and say each person has two cocktails. And for reference, yeah, people are here for a while. So that's a lot. That's a, that's a good amount. It's not like you said, it's not like a quick turnover. If someone's not coming in and grab a beer and leave, they're coming for a cocktail two, maybe three, if they really want to have a good night and then go to dinner somewhere, right? So they're hanging out. Yeah. They are hanging out. You know, that's two bartenders in a cocktail server and they're flying. You know, I mean, I don't want to tell the numbers, but they're pretty good. Yep. Cool. We're back with Joey to talk about our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. Now, Joey, you've had an experience recently with another canned cocktail that did not go as planned. Correct. Just tell us a little bit more about that experience and how it could have been improved. All right. So I was with a group of friends up in Napa for a wedding recently. And the day of the wedding, we were planning out our day beforehand, decided to day drink a little bit, hang out by the hotel pool. Very nice experience. Would highly recommend it. And we were at the store getting some beverages to imbibe while we were hanging out and Somebody wanted a vodka soda can cocktail. Along with that, we saw there were a variety of other options, including a Paloma, which I was I was interested in. I love a good Paloma. I love some grapefruit in my cocktails. And we decided that was an option that we wanted to try out. And for whatever reason, it just did not do the job. I think it was really watered down from what your typical Paloma would be. And it just did not hit the spot, TJ. It really didn't. And so if I'm hearing you correctly... Your entire weekend was ruined because you didn't have Golden Rule Spirits on hand. I would say that the bride and groom's weekend was ruined. Everything about the wedding was ruined because of the experience that I had. And I, I needed some Golden Rule in my life. There you have it. If you don't want to ruin your wedding weekend, make sure you have Golden Rule Spirits. At GoldenRuleSpirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on Instagram. If you guys don't mind, let's we can talk about the menu a little bit and like how, how it came from concept to menu. So I guess the, the best way to start off is what is the process here? Because everyone does it a little bit differently. Sometimes maybe someone like Yang, who's the head mixologist and bartender, who's like, I got an idea and then he needs to like set up a time with you to then approve it. Or maybe you come up with it. Like, how does it work? It's a collaborative process. You know, even Cindy, who's sitting next to me, 
wanted to create these, you know, during especially during COVID, right? These sort of Chinese balancing your chi healing drinks, right? So they so. These are drinks that the Chinese tonics, as we call them, we've been drinking for thousands of years. And we want to make them fun and make them a little more present for today. And I worked with Young, and he came up with some great ideas that we worked together on. And not only does this taste good, but it's also good for you. A lot of yin and yang, you know, chi balancing. People are trying to get healthier. You know, of course, you also, also need a drink, right? <laughs> Stiff one. But from that to Young coming up with, and, you know, seasonal drinks, you know, summer, winter. It's like I, I changed the menu at China Live, and I was in the kitchen at Eight Tables before COVID. Now i got to do everything, so I'm not in the kitchen as much at Eight Tables. Uh, Floyd Dunn is doing a great job there. But it's called China Live because it's a living platform. And Cold Drinks Bar is... Uh, is an evolving cocktail program. There are going to be secret cocktails, like sometimes old-fashioned, right? But there are some drinks that like really are very special. So we will go through uh, quarterly a review of what sold, what didn't, what's new, because you know bar f- fashion is pretty transitory. You know, like you know, oh, we're not doing the. I just found a bunch of those bronze pineapples in my office. Like they just dumped it there because everybody had those things around. And now nobody has morale. I guess they're in, the, in my office. I don't know what you guys are doing with that, but we were making a drink out of that thing when it was popular. But I think this is a not a trendy bar. This is a bar that has a lot of style and substance, too. So we always based it on that it is still a whiskey cocktail bar. And people come in, they want a vodka tonic. Well, you get a vodka tonic pretty much anywhere. And young, I'll make it for you. But we only have like three vodkas, right? You know, we have a few gins. One vodka, one gin. That's it? That's it. One vodka, one gin. I'll <laughs> my, make my life easier. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow, okay. I thought yeah. it was three. I guess yeah. you can't have goose on the rocks here. Uh, sorry, Grey Goose. We got, I mean, we don't even have enough room for all the bottles. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to be had. Yeah. So that process is kind of well established. And, and, and the creativity is really what Young starts with. And then he had... Like another friend of his that ran Bourbon Branch, they collaborate and come up with ideas. And then Cindy and I will will be the main arbiters. Like if we like it, we don't like it, you know. But they taste it. They taste all the drinks. Let's talk about that for a second. Then I want to go into the creative aspect of it. Is there any particular like story or just like iteration? Many iterations that you had to go through. Like okay, I think I got this. There's a drink. I made it. It feels great. And then Cindy and George are just like. No, that's not it. We got to flip it. Or like, is there one in particular? Like, ah, and then it finally you just you just landed it. Is there one story like that off the top of your head? To be honest, I think Chef and Cindy they say yes to almost all my drinks ideas. Most of <laughs> that, them. Most well, of well, them. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a lot of story for me. Like George said, it's a classic, like stylish. But I also like to go to new bars, try new things. That's where we try to find a summer in the middle, you know, something cool, fresh ingredient, California, San Francisco, new technique, milk wash, clarify, but also, all right, that's classic. I want to keep it. I want to have a classic Rob Roy style. I want to have a classic old fashioned, but I just want to bring a little bit tweak. like, oh, that's cool. Like we have a drink. I always like a pinot colada. So we made a clarified Pinot Colada, totally clear, coconut wash. Also, I really like an old school drink chef might know, Rusty Nail. The Drambui was a smoky uh, blended whiskey. 
But it's really sweet. It's a nightcap, old school drink. All old school drink, they all on the sweeter side. So we make a balance with Chinese uh, HHS tea with a little bit of uh, coconut oil, coconut juice to make it clarify. Something like that, I feel like really represent the style we want to show the customer. It's We're doing classic stuff. Even the tiki drink, Pinot Colada, it's a classic drink. But we have our twist. We make it super cool, super sexy. So where do you come with like the inspiration? Like, let's say, okay, it's now we're we're getting ready for for fall coming. Like we're we're still in summer, fall's coming up. Like, what are you? It's almost time to to come up with the new menu. Where do you start? I also love to cook. He probably never know. I cook at home. <laughs> yeah. He so, likes to eat. I know yeah, that. I like to eat. <laughs> the guy's too. always hungry. I don't know why he stays so thin. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely uh, fresh ingredients, the grocery shop, and also flavor from other product it's been there forever i'd like to use something like when you see yuzu that flavor start to find a yuzu product at trader joe's now it's already too late everybody started using yuzu we've been using that way before that it's just like because also i'm from china then some flavor i'm used to it maybe not american bartender used to it I like to try those ideas as well. And my habit is I always start to make small ingredients before I assemble. For me, it's like a puzzle making drinks. I make different syrups infused with different ingredients. I think it makes more sense to an Asian restaurant, a Chinese restaurant. I make different shrubs. Now I have all the pieces that I just assemble them all together. I either use scotch or I use different spirits as scotch as one of the modifier, or I use a little cool techniques. That's my habit, making puzzles. Yeah, and also, you know, this bar is beautiful, right? The bar top, the marble. And, you know, when we designed this bar, we had those little brass lights. People sit here and they, you know, when you talk about mixologists, I mean, it's like watching people cook in the exhibition kitchen, find dining restaurants, you a chef table. So when they're sitting there and they're watching them make the drinks, and I don't like, I mean, I know batching is very popular and there are very fine bars around the world that just do batching, all drinks pre-batched. I tell them, look, I still want ingredients to go into my class. So they will batch some things, but they, a lot of the drinks are assembled, like he says, from tinctures or shrubs and, and bitters that we make in house. And then it's all boom, right there in front. And the technique of making that drink under those little lights, make it. What's wild? I mean, you're sitting in the bar. People love sitting at the bar and watching my guys make drinks. It's part of the experience, right? You've you've created something when you put this much effort into, like you said, the piano ceilings or the tiles or going to Vietnam to get the furniture. Like, why would you prevent the experience or dull the experience even more by having in a situation like this to batch it? Which, like you said, there's nothing wrong. There's a ton of bars in the city that do great batching. So now we've heard a lot about the process and inspiration behind the cocktail served at Cold Drinks Bar. Now, for one of my personal parts of the interview, we talk about the specific drinks currently on the menu. Young, is there anything that you that you're just like extremely proud of that's on the cocktail menu right His now? His boss, <laughs> <laughs> bosses. Me, I really like the sometimes old fashioned and silk degrees. Okay, yeah, silk degrees is a really good card. What's in the silk degrees? So, yeah, it's a twist on uh, pinot colada, but the base spirits we use uh, black label instead of rum, but it's a coconut wash, black label, fresh pineapple juice, 
young coconut water, add a little bit of citric acid, and a little bit of lime juice. So the lime juice is going to batch to work with the boiled milk at the last step. We boil the milk, we blend it all ingredients together in the Cambron, let it sit, then uh, strain them out. It's a clarified milk punch, but it's a Pinot Clada based on a coconut wash scotch. I always want to make that drink since we open cold drinks bar, actually. But I just, for some reason, that drink didn't turn out very good before the pandemic. Then probably just the one thing I think to pandemic, I had too much time. I can think what I did wrong to previous version. I never show him, oh, that's the drink. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's smart. <laughs> but I do come up with the name. Silk Degrees because Boss Skaggs is one of my favorite musicians and that was a great album. That album's yeah. So yeah, thanks pandemic, I just tried so many different ways. It turns out, okay, actually, I believe less is more. I use too many ingredients. Now I only do scotch, pineapple, and coconut. And that color is so sexy and everybody likes it. We toast a little bit of coconut shape on the top because I feel like, you know, when you have a cocktail, you look at a drink, your nose it enjoy the drink before your palate. It's like a whole experience. Yang took a break here to whip us up a few cocktails. The Silk to Grease drink, which he mentioned being particularly proud of. Here's a refresher on the cold drinks, sometimes old-fashioned, the bar's twist on the classic drink. It's made with Peking Duck Fat Wash Glen Meringue 10, George Dickel Rye, Black Pepper Syrup, Lemon, and Candy Cap Bitters. As for the Silk to Grease that Yang is so fond of, Coconut Washed Johnny Walker Black Label, Pineapple, Coconut, with Toasted Coconut on top as a garnish. The appeal of looking at this when you first brought it over, it's almost like it looks like a very, very watered down scotch or like white wine on ice. And you're like, this is, are you sure this is what I ordered? Like, you know, when you look at it, when you taste it, you get that pina colada like right off the bat with a tiny finish of the scotch instead of the sweetness of the rum, which is quite like, I really, really enjoy it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's what you were ultimately going for or or what, but I mean, you, you, you crush it in terms of yeah, when I named the Silky Greens, I was like, this drink is so silky, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, you know, it's like, you know, when you drink this, sometimes old-fashioned, people are like, you know, this is like so smooth. I'm like, is it really fat in there? I go, no, it's yeah. fat wash. <laughs> it's not, there's no fat in there. Floating <laughs> your scotch. I think there, that is something that obviously those washes are becoming a little bit more and more popular. That tr- it's become more and more trendy. There's a little bit of like a uh, learning curve for those who don't drink cocktail all the time. Like, you know, there's not in it. It's just, you know, there's a little bit of wash in the, in the cup. It's a little bit of wash. Yeah. Yeah. When we do that, because we have China Live downstairs, I can get the duck fat pretty easy. That's the kind of collaboration we want here. And now to wrap up our chat with the cold drinks team, the last call segment. All right. Well, I want to close it out here on a a segment that we call the last call segment. It's kind of bring into a little bit more of a fun situation where we're asking everybody, what is the most outrageous, crazy, unique story that you've seen happen, whether it's in your career at a bar or that's happened here. We've heard stories from people getting locked in the bathrooms overnight. We've heard people, you know, a homeless person got locked into a into a restaurant or sorry, into the uh, into the bar and they cooked themselves a dinner and slept on the bar themselves. <laughs> there's, 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 we've had I a lot of every night here. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of we've had a lot of ups and downs stories. So I don't know if Yang, if you have a good story yeah. that you've had to deal with somebody. We've we've had some good ones, but I think here once, yeah, it happened once. 
last call, almost done. I checked the restroom, everything. All right, no customer. We start to break down. Then there's one person showed up, said, I don't work here. I said, I don't know that customer. I said, what happened? So I don't know if he has some issue or he, he was drunk. He sneaked into our closet, pulled out our uniform, my coworker's uh, shirt and the vest, said he's the bartender here. I should just go. I said, well, <laughs> that's one. <laughs> What's he going to happen? That was... So this person, yeah. so this person, yeah, didn't know who it is. Found the uniform, no put idea. on the uniform, and said, yeah. "I'm a bartender here." Yeah, because and you're like, "No, that that's impossible." Open. Yeah. <laughs> so he made, he was in Hawaii. I say, actually, I was downstairs, like locked the door because I'm gonna break down the bar. I say, uh, "I'm a bartender. What can I help you?" And then he looked at me, and say, "You don't have your uniform on." I say, "Yeah, we we close in my own clothes. We're <laughs> we gonna break down the bar." And he said, like, I have the uniform. I work here. I'm the bartender. I said, no, you're not a bartender. <laughs> Excuse me, who are you? Said, By the way, where are you get all those? Then he, he said, so other coworkers said, oh, I saw someone like doing that. I didn't pay attention. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, so this crazy person like, went to a closet, put out a shirt and vest. And he's a bartender. <laughs> trying to say, oh, you, you don't work here. I think the, the one thing is like, the reason why we did that segment, one, it's, it's fun, right? Like, we want to, like, tell a story. And, like, also, a lot of people don't know the shit that you got to deal with. Plain and simple. They just don't. Like, and people who haven't worked in hospitality, sometimes they don't know how to treat a, a waiter or a bartender or a cook or whatever it may be. And then also, it's like, they don't, there's not a lot of understanding of, like, what goes into every single drink that you're doing. They, didn't know, they don't know amount of the hours that go before you guys open at, like, 3 or 4 p.m. They don't know what goes on afterwards. There's all these different, there's a lot that goes into it. And to put on some... And to deal with somebody who maybe got had a little bit too many libations or someone who snuck in, like whatever, that's just like added things that you have to deal with that, you know, it's it's part of what you do, but it also sheds light to uh, hopefully our listeners that like there's a lot that goes Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, people definitely. don't realize we're the only industry that takes sometimes a live product, you know, like animal, whatever, and make it into a finished product, plate that product, whether it's a cocktail or a plate of food. And we serve it in the environment that we have to control and with our, you know, end-to-end. There's just a lot of variables that can go wrong. So today you could be a zebra, the next day you could be a donkey, you know. I mean, it's it's terribly difficult. And we're not a factory making trinkets here. So with those variables and people's demands and tastes change, you're constantly, you have to be a psychologist as a bartender, read the customer, also do that from beginning to end, it's, uh, people don't realize this is a challenging job. You know, we do it because we love it. Well, as someone who's been here before and now getting to know you guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you've done. Congrats on making it through the pandemic and hopefully you guys see more and more success and more people coming in. And I really appreciate the time. And, you know, George, Cindy, Young, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks. No, our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us here. Thanks. There you have it. That wraps up the discussion with George, Cindy, Yong, and the team at Cold Drinks. Again, Cold Drinks is located within the China Live Complex at 644 Broadway Street in San Francisco's historic Chinatown district. You may have to search a little bit to find it, but it's right upstairs on the second floor of China Live. On our next episode, we head over to the Marina District, where we'll sit down with an old friend of mine, Benson Wang, and his bar director, Justin, at the Dorian, located at Chestnut and Fillmore.
The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Notalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themuddlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themuddlerpodcast.com.